supposedly guide all their, the elected people that we think we elect and tell them what to do for the best. That's really what's been happening. And uh, it's very similar, if you, if you were to compare this to the Soviet model, very, very similar indeed. It's not by accident either, because there's two main types of bringing in the socialist system. One was direct action and overthrow of existing governments. That was revolution. And the other way was through the Fabian technique. And interestingly enough, the same bankers who funded the Soviet revolution or Bolshevik revolution in Russia were the same bankers that founded the Milner Group for the Royal Institute of International Affairs and funded the Fabians. Back with more after this break. through the matrix talking about how the world's always planned in advance and it's very hard for people to to believe because we're born into a system you're hammered with daily news once you're old enough to understand the words and you think the daily news is giving you the latest update on things are just transpiring at the moment and how politicians get together to hammer out uh, solutions to immediate problems that just cropped up out of the blue and, and we were given that at a very early age, that whole idea. Even the way they give us history in schools is, helps to augment that and solidify that idea that we're on the cutting edge and life is evolving uh, willy-nilly by itself, all happenstance, uh, day by day. But nothing can be further from the truth. And you have to go into the older books and find out who started up the League of Nations and what was its purpose. You can go much further back than that, of course, but... But that was at the culmination of a lot of planning in a previous century. And its ideals were really uh, the ideals of total social control worldwide uh, over every aspect of human nature, right down to breeding, who could breed, who would not breed. And that, that carried on into its phoenix-like rebirth at the, the United Nations. It's no accident that we're on the path we're on. And all through the 20th century, agreements were signed, treaties they call them, which are legally binding. Um, that doesn't mean anything really, because if you really wanted rid of something that was going to put you into slavery, you just tear it up and throw it out and burn it or something. Um, but no, they go through this nonsense that you cannot go back, you can't renege on a treaty. And it's rather odd that the, even the founding fathers in the U.S. put it into the, to the Constitution that le- treaties were legally binding. But I think, and it's been debated, uh, if they simply were referring to the treaties between the different states of the United States. Now they actually put it down to all treaties, uh, which is really crazy because if something is not working in the favor of the people, then surely it can be torn up. It should be torn up. They they'd actually say that uh, they make them so incredibly complex that to undo them again legally, you'd have to take batteries of lawyers years and years to try and unravel them all. It's, it's almost like trying to, to... It's like these movies where they see them a bomb at the end and they go in there and they've got all these wires and they've got to clip them one by one until they get the last one clipped before it goes off. And that's the impression they try and give you. But it's all nonsense. Because really, as I say, if something's against you and it's, it's detrimental to the public, it should be just torn up 
and used to heat the house or something like that. But treaties are amazing things, and everything's been bound together by treaties all through the 20th century. They brought in the European Union through treaties. Karl Marx suggested that's the way they would go in the 1800s. And Karl Marx, remember, was hailed as the, the founder of the communistic idea and the communistic ideal who put into what they call a scientific format, which they really believe in at the top, uh, even though um, we've seen during the years, like Stalin, he could interpret it whichever way he wanted to because he was technically like God. He was the first cult of the personality, although they tried it with Lenin, and that's what they do. They give you a cult of personality, and the public go back to sleep thinking Big Brother's looking after them uh, to wake up in slavery. That's really how it happens. The same thing's happening in the U.S. right now. It'll be a while before they wake up and realize there's nothing left. But it's interesting to, to see how even the founding fathers knew that unless you were taking care of your own money, that means the government takes care of it, not private banks. They said that private banks would put all the, the children and the children to come into slavery and through debt. And that's exactly what has happened across the whole supposedly free world. That's what happened. And they knew that because it was already happening in Britain. Britain was already in massive debt because as soon as the Rothschilds came in, and even before that, when they, they set up the Bank of England, they, they, um, they knew they could borrow then freely from the bankers and simply tax it back from the public to pay the bankers. Massive accumulation of debt. It's been that way ever since. We've all heard about Goldman Sachs and the incredible cons and scams they've been up to and all the bailouts and all the rest of it, and how they've they led this current depression. It's not a recession, it's a depression. Um, when they're still losing across the U.S. and different countries as well, uh, homes by the hundreds and hundreds per day. It's hardly mentioned in the media today. Once in a blue moon, you'll see it if you look for it. Um, but these characters, Goldman Sachs, always seem to lead the charge. The Great Depression, too, had a lot to do with it. And the present one as well. And, of course, they get the massive bailouts for all the, the greedy speculations that they get into. This article here is from November the 8th, 2009. And it's from Reuters. It says, the chief executive of Goldman Sachs, which has attracted widespread media attention over the size of its staff bonuses, believes banks uh, serve a social purpose and are doing God's work. Now, that's an odd, odd statement to make, isn't it? He's not being flippant or sarcastic here any more than Armand Hammer was sarcastic when he, when he put the sign over his bed in his bedroom that said, he who hath the gold maketh the rules. It wasn't just in your face. There's something else behind all that stuff, especially in this day and age where most people at the top are utter, you know, they're kind of atheistic, they're humanists in a sense. Um, but he said they're doing God's work. It's no different either from the little statement that old man Rockefeller made when he said that competition was a sin. They weren't being sarcastic. They were not being sarcastic. They were telling you something about the religion they believe in because they're not atheistic. And 
So here you have another one here. The banks are doing God's work. I, I guess God in that case must like to hammer us and create massive poverty. But that's okay with them. So who is this God? Eh? In an interview with London's Sunday Times newspaper, Lloyd Blankfein also said he believed a big, that big profits, profits and bonuses at banks were a sign that the world economy was recovering. Well, it depends how you define economy, isn't it? Because we've been investing abroad for, since the GATT Treaty was signed. Everything's in China now, right? He says, we, like here's his PR, we help companies grow by helping them to raise capital. Companies that grow create wealth. This in turn allows people to have jobs that create more wealth and more wealth. We have a social purpose, he told the paper, but he doesn't say in which country, you see. From his point of view, sure, if he makes more jobs in China, then that's true. So the dominant Wall Street bank posted third quarter earnings. This is just after everybody's still paying for that. They'll be paying for the next few generations for this, this bailout, you know. Um, they posted their third quarter earnings of $3 billion and plans to hand out more than $20 billion in year-end bonuses to its top staff. $20 billion. Boy, oh boy. Blankfein told the Sunday Times that the bank's compensation practices correlated with long-term performance. Others made no money and still paid large bonuses. Some are not around anymore. I wonder why, he says. He added that he understood, however, that people were angry with bankers' actions. I know I could slip my wrists and people would cheer, he said. Well, I'd probably say that's probably true. But again, he's, he's, he's gone along with a different agenda here, a different belief system. Obviously. But what can you do? What can you do? Because everything is made by deals at the top by governments and banks and governments as you well know um, can never get enough taxes in because they've always got new plans to go so they always go, go and borrow from the bankers then they find new ways to get the, the taxes paid off along the way or they just add it to the tab that's what they have never ending tabs it's funny to see that uh, I think Britain this was about two or three years ago in the newspapers. Britain had just finished paying its debt off for World War One. They've still got World War Two and Korea and other ones to go since then. So subsequent generations are, are put down to pay off the debt. Who has the right to put people into slavery? Is that what governments are for? I don't think so. I don't think so. And it's true what... Um, Jefferson said, Thomas Jefferson he said that a generation that's born into paying off a, a previous generation's existing debt are therefore de facto slaves and he was all for every generation simply cancelling the previous generation's debts that would have worked, that would have been a great idea what's wrong with it today? Well, what's wrong is we've never had democracy that's what's wrong with it there are cliques at the top that the public know nothing about. Nothing at all about. Even Benjamin Disraeli said the same thing. Those in power, he says, those who control governments and power of a country uh, are vastly different from the ones that the public imagine. It's not what the ones that the people see. 
that's how it really is and any power structure will tend always to take care of, of itself the existing power structure everyone's heard of the continuity of government through thick and thin regardless of what happens and how they prepare for every possible ca catastrophe or disaster that could happen uh, to make sure that they can continue it's for the power elite to continue because they don't intend of, to give up that power structure for anyone especially not for the people I'll be back with more after this break This is Cutting Through the Matrix. We're run by uh, secretive societies. If you know the names of, of the groups, then technically they can say they're not a secret society, but they're secretive. It's like Freemasonry. They say they're not a secret society. They're a society with secrets. And that's really how everything is today. Whether it's government or whatever, everything's done really behind closed doors, not open for debate. But here we have uh, from the, the EU observer, that's the Economic Union observer for the whole of Europe. Uh, and I think this was from Friday, I think, but I'll put the links up on my site at the end of the show for all these topics I bring up. It says here, a top candidate debates EU tax at elite dinner. This is Belgian Prime Minister Herman Van Rompuy a top candidate for the new European Union president job laid out his views on future EU financing at a dinner of the secretive Bilderberg group last week. Now it's amazing too it even gets into the press now it shows you how sort of callous they are you know they're like so, so what but don't tell you all the rest of the stuff right but now he's mainstream uh, putting little things in the event took place at Val de Chess a former priory on the outskirts of Brussels on Thursday uh, 12th of November, with guests including Belgian industrialist and Bilderberg chairman Etienne Davignon, former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, he's uh, everything this guy, and luminaries from the worlds of international politics and business, according to Belgian broadsheet De Tide. It says, Mr. Van Rompuy, the leak could harm his chances of a top EU appointment, as we claims, which is nonsense because I think Tony Blair is also in the running. And Tony Blair is an utter Fabian socialist, complete dyed in the wool. I'm sure they all are at the top. The Belgian leader is reported to have said in a speech that new resources will be necessary for the... Listen, listen to this. New resources will be necessary for the financing of the welfare state. The welfare state. Is that the future of Europe or is that the future of the so-called uh, first world countries? New resources will be necessary for the financing of the welfare state. Is it the world welfare state? It says, green tax instruments are a possibility. That's a definite um, will be that. So must, must be. 
This is but they are ambiguous. This type of tax will eventually be extinguished, but the possibilities of financial levies at European level must be seriously examined, and for the first time the large countries in the Union are open to that. Mr. Van Rompuy's official spokesman later told the Belga news agency that the Prime Minister indicated that it is necessary to carry on thinking about structural financing at the European level. The leak to the tide, coming just days before the EU aims to choose its first permanent president, could damage Mr. Van Rompuy's chances. Proposals about imposing fees on environmentally damaging behaviour or skimming small levies off financial transactions have been mooted before, but the suggestion that the new EU president might interfere in national taxation policy is anathema to anti-federalists in EU countries such as the UK or Denmark. Mr. Van Rompuy's participation at the Bilderberger dinner will also give ammunition to critics of the EU top job selection process, which takes place via confidential consultations between the EU leaders and informal social events. The Bilderberg Group is an elite club of aristocrats, politicians and businessmen dating back to 1954, which likes to meet away from the public eye and which is widely disliked by pro-transparency campaigners. So, that's really how we're run. It's, it's just simply clubs uh, run by the elite. It's always really been that way. In fact, London still has its big posh clubs around the banking area or in the banking area. And if you're anybody at all, you'd be a member of them, you see. And you're thoroughly vetted to become a member, especially your family lineage and all of that kind of stuff. And that's where the top people from MI5 and 6 go. And the top bankers go and everyone else goes. And things are really discussed in the clubs that's how the world is run. It's interesting too, <coughs> when we look back at uh, how the French Revolution was set up and how they set up what they called coffee houses all over the place, where they literally, literally had uh, Masonic uh, groups meeting quite openly at that time. And they were called clubs. You know? And club has a double meaning, remember. You can have a club that you join and you have a club which is also is a weapon. And that's why it's called a club, in fact. And if you look at the club and the card deck, you have a trinity there, really, because that's part of the religion as well. So it's interesting that you meet in clubs, and clubs really run the show, where they can meet in secrecy, uh, knowing that anyone present has to be a member, and no one else could possibly get in. That's how it really is run, the world. Private deals and everything else is really a show for the general public a complete show for the public so uh, we really have no democracy never had democracy and when you look at the techniques that are used they are the Soviet techniques where foundations fund, fund uh, self-appointed non-governmental organizations that are not really self-appointed at all the leaders are picked by the foundations themselves and often they're told to start up the NGO that appears to be grassroots and independent and they protest government for the very things the foundations want the bankers own the foundations that's how it's run that's how the world is run back with more after this break
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the matrix. Up until recently, people in the media, the mainstream, would just scoff uh, because that's their job is to try and tell you that uh, if you're thinking for yourself, you've got a problem. If you're not believing them, and uh, they used to laugh at conspiracy theories and all the rest of it. Now they they they, they give you these these stories now uh, in the open with a bit of sarcasm because they know darn well that whatever they tell you will make no difference now because it's technically too late you see so you get these little tongue-in-cheek stories this is uh, the Washington Post and it was November the 11th it says one world government the globe may not be big enough by Dana Milbank it says new world order came into being at 425 Tuesday afternoon it arrived at the capital until that moment the seat of American government in the form of the stooped and respectable figure of Ban Ki-moon who as United Nations Secretary General is the de facto leader of what conspiracy theorists call the one world government so these are slap at conspiracy theorists at the same time the rest of the story can unfold so they may have been right you know at one floor beneath the Senate chamber Ban a South Korean national took his place behind a lectern bearing the Senate seal and spelled out his demands and that's what they were, they were demands right? he said I would certainly expect the Senate to take the necessary action that's what I have encountered uh, what I have encouraged the senators he told reporters as a trio of lawmakers stood at his side that's true enough they're surrounded by lawyers eh? he added an admonition for the chamber to deliver as soon as possible that doesn't sound like a friendly visit does it the one world government has specific requirements ban added namely a legally binding here you go with your legally binding treaties commitment to 25 to 40 percent greenhouse gas reduction as recommended by the IPCC that's United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change made up by garbage collectors and all the rest of the socialist commies that are in there this is uh oh a UN official standing in the capital telling US lawmakers what binding commitments intergovernmental authorities expect from them Says Glenn Beck was going to burst a blood vessel, but the man who orchestrated this push by the New World Order, Senate Foreign Relations Chairman John Kerry, uh, did not appear concerned by the imagery. He called the Secretary General. This is kind of disgusting, isn't it? This is in the U.S. Senate, and here you have uh, John Kerry uh, at the Senate Foreign Relations Committee uh, calling him Your Excellency, Your Excellency. Uh, said Senator Richard Luger of Indiana um, was equally de deferential as he spoke of the privilege of this distinguished visitor and Senator Joe Lieberman hailed ban for the this is very interesting the accelerated leadership role that the United Nations has taken accelerated leadership role you see the, U the UN was designed to come up right now into his proper uh, status as basically the kind of uh, nucleus for the world government.
It says, your vision, this is what Lieberman says, your, your vision that in Copenhagen there can be a politically binding agreement, and here's a very important part, that will lead to a legally binding agreement to follow, to follow, is a very reasonable, sensible, and hopeful course. And that's how they're playing it out right now, because they know the public are, are very weary and skeptical and don't want any binding agreements at all to do with paying extra ta taxes, uh, the, the redistribution of wealth, uh, as in the plank of the Communist Manifesto, which this treaty has in it, the supposed third world. They won't get to the third world anyway. That's got nothing to do with it. But uh, they know this. So what they're going to say, that they're, they're fluffing it right now in the media by saying that, oh, Obama's just going to cautiously go along and maybe agree to something. Well, once they get it on the table, you see, and it's, it's legally signed, then, then it comes up for the next. What they're going to agree to is to legally put through what was, what was going to be put on the next one. That's what they're going to agree to. To put through what's on the next one. That's how they're getting around this, to put people back to sleep. But that's why he said, listen to his words, it's again. Your vision that in Copenhagen there can be a politically binding agreement that will lead to a legally binding agreement to follow is a very reasonable, sensible, and hopeful course. That's how they're playing this. It says, somewhere in Manhattan, Sean Hannity was tearing up his script for the night's broadcast. Kerry invited Bann to lecture the Foreign Relations Committee, but it's not clear what the chairman hoped to gain from the photos of him standing with Bann in the capital's Brumidi corridors. Indeed, it seemed quite possible that a UN endorsement of Kerry's climate efforts would embolden its foes, who like the world body even less than they like cap and trade. And the pantheon of conspiracy theories, the United Nations is right up there with the Illuminati, the trilateral commission the Federal Reserve and the Council on Foreign Relations, which as it happens Kerry addressed a couple of weeks ago. So there's your little, again, little, you know, tongue out. Uh, they give you the tongue out there in the face at the end of the story. Because it's all true, you see. So here's somebody from the United Nations demanding, demanding, you see. Is that what uh, your government's for, to take demands from uh, this strange corporate body that is the United Nations, this private organization? And once this thing is put down, yep, the fool will go back to sleep saying, well, there's nothing terribly binding in this, but what is binding is a promise they will sign the next one, whatever is in it. <laughs> That's really what it's about. That's why I think it was uh, Lord Monckton said in his speech about this particular treaty, at the end of his talk he's, he, in the U.S., he said, uh, thanks for being the country and leading the free world as you once did, and for being the country you once were. <laughs> That's basically it. Because it's over. All according to plan, though. It's interesting, too, this great new world order uh, that uh, demands that everybody be standardized by coercion, threats, or utter force, or pummeled into oblivion, uh, or else, basically, are doing it, and they have been doing it for years, using all types of, uh, of odd weapons and nasty stuff to, to dump on people. Everywhere the NATO, that's the United Nations military arm basically, everywhere they've been 
uh, they've left depleted uranium. And every country that they've pummeled and pummeled and pummeled, including Bosnia and different places, we always get reports of sudden birth defects. But the same thing with the first Gulf War and it's going into this one. And what the depleted uranium is, is supposedly, it's not, it's not extinguished uranium, it's depleted. It gets sort of reactivated when they fire this stuff. It coats the shells of artillery and even some of the smaller weapons too uh, to help it pierce armor. And um, what happens when they hit tanks with it or buildings, it tends to uh, go incredible, incredible heat and it will also go through anything but at least uh, a cloud of powder residue behind it and you have depleted uranium which is really activated all over the place and Gulf War, Gulf War 1 at the end of it they talked to some American uh, troops who were sent out on details to bring in tanks and uh, personal vehicles that were damaged and hit by these particular shells to clear the battlefields and uh, one of them spoke about the fact that everyone they'd gone to was covered in this very fine white powder their job was to clean it all up and they weren't told what it was and every one of those guys uh, is probably dead now by cancer, they'd had cancer at the time and again you had the governments trying to cover it all up and so on because all the troops are expendable they just don't know that but they are expendable and it's happening again here's the guardian.co.uk huge rise in birth defects in Fallujah in Iraq Iraqi former battle zone sees abnormal clusters of infant tumors and deformities it's, it's this exact replica of the Bosnia thing uh, it says that doctors in Iraq's war-ravaged enclave of Fallujah are dealing with up to 15 times as many chronic deformities in infants and a spike in early life cancers that may be linked to toxic materials left over from the fighting. The extraordinary rise in birth defects has crystallized over recent months as specialists working in Fallujah's overstretched health system have started to come piling detailed clinical records of all babies born. Neurologists and obstetricians in the city interviewed by the Guardian see the rise in birth defects which include a baby born with two heads, babies with multiple tumors and others with nervous system problems are unprecedented and at present unexplainable. This is nonsense unexplainable. They know what's caused it since they've exposed it before and they've exposed the causes. This is what you find you found in, in when they did bomb Nagasaki and Hiroshima and Japan afterwards. Even right to the present time, there's still babies born because of the high radioactivity in the area, born with these problems. A group of Iraqi and British officials, including the former Iraqi Minister for Women's Affairs, Dr. Nawal Majid uh, Samarawa, and the British doctors David Halpin and Chris Burns-Cox have petitioned the UN, <laughs> to the UN General Assembly to ask that an independent committee, good luck, fully investigates the defects and help clean up toxic materials left over decades of war, including the six years since Saddam Hussein was ousted. We're seeing a very significant increase in central nervous system anomalies, said Fulcher General's Hospital Director and Senior Specialist Dr. Eamon Caves. Before 2003, the start of the war, I was seeing sporadic numbers of deformities in babies. Now the frequency of deformities has increased dramatically. The rise in frequencies start from two admissions of fortnights uh, a year ago to a day now. So, so two a day are coming in now. And, and before it was two admissions per two weeks. It was two a day. Most are in the head 
tumors and so on, and spinal cord. But there are also many differences in lower or deficiencies in lower limbs, he said. There's also a very marked increase in the number of cases of less than two years old with brain tumors. This is now a focus area of multiple tumors. After several years of speculation and anecdotal evidence, a picture of a highly disturbing phenomenon in one of Iraq's most battered areas has now taken shape. Previously, all miscarried babies, including those with birth defects or infants who are not given ongoing care, were not listed as abnormal cases. So there you go, and I don't think they mention in the whole article about the depleted uranium. Yeah, they go into other things too, you know. They could be the causes which are so far out as incredible, but they know what's causing it. And uh, but that's the lens they'll go to. That's the lens this new world order will go to, to to get their way. Anything goes. Anything goes. But then that that is what war is about, isn't it? It's about winning. Now we have these ideas about uh, old movies where there's some kind of fairness about things. There never was fairness in war. It's about slaughtering your enemy, so that you win. And by any means possible. That's what it's about. And it's a pity that the public are kept in such naive nonsense by the kind of movies that they see. And eventually, here goes on too, to what's happening to the world now. Uh, we know those at the top uh, talked about the destruction of the family unit and all the rest of it. How to pacify males. Uh, they've been into looking for reasons why males will actually fight for things uh, like freedom or uh, survival and finding ways to neutralize it uh, under the guise of looking for criminality in youngsters. That's, that's really a cover, the criminality stuff. They want to find out why, why men uh, are more liable to fight for things because, you see, the only problem I've had down through the centuries taking over this world was that men often would stand up and fight if they had families and loved ones and children and community. That's why all of those things had to be destroyed uh, under the Fabian or the communist system. It's both the same thing, different roads to the same thing. One was to be global uh, and take time. That was a Fabian technique. And that's the one they decided to eventually uh, really use. The communist system is for fast uh, accumulation of territory and standardization of a system. Uh, so here you go, Mail Online. I'm so sick of reading these articles about uh, the hormones that the males are getting. Because every article is like it's like a brand new thing they've just discovered. This is November 16th. Uh, chemicals used in plastic feminize the brains of little boys so that they could avoid rough and tumble games. As his chemicals used in plastics are feminizing the brains of, of baby boys, a disturbing study shows. Those exposed to high doses in the womb are less likely to play with male toys such as cars, but also less willing to join rough and tumble games. The research adds to growing evidence that hormone-disrupting chemicals in thousands of household products are interfering with the development of children. It's also in the food with melamine, even put in baby food. You know who regulates the, the whole stuff to do with melamine uh, for the EU uh, Parliament, where all the info comes and all the data comes from, and the regulations come from? It comes from the Melamine Producers Association. And where they dump it in the food. And even FDA in the US allowed that. Because, you know, it, it, it's just when the dollar talks, morality walks, 
and uh, the lobbyists con uh, convinced them. I'm sure they used uh, uh, a lot of uh, handshaking and something passing between it, but uh, the FDA were convinced uh, eventually that uh, technically you could call melamine a protein. Uh, if you just uh, went along with their logic of, of thinking, technically it kind of looked like one in a chain. And this this uh, estrogenic hormone, synthetic hormone, is put in baby food. And that's not by accident, folk, folks. It's not by accident. It says here, the environmental campaigners called the study extremely worrying, called for a crackdown. The study looked at th phthalates, chemicals which can mimic the female sex hormone estrogen. Some experts believe they're, they're partly blamed for the increase in genital defects in boys and lower sperm counts in men over recent decades. It's from the 1950s, actually. But it's also a couple of the inoculations, too, I'm sure of it. It says, but the new research is the first, is the first to link hormone-mimicking chemicals to behavior. There are fears for further effects as young children in the study grow up. Although the plastics industry insists phthalates are safe, uh, it's just amazing when every study proves them wrong. But not really. Uh, they're obviously protected because it's part of an agenda. This is uh, the EU has banned many of them from cosmetics, teething rings, and children's toys. Uh, most cosmetics have it in them. Uh, it says, but pregnant women are still exposed to phthalates, which are used to soften plastics in household items such as plastic furniture, shoes, PVC flooring, and shower curtains. It's also in all the cosmetics, though, and it goes through the skin into the bloodstream which is pregnant. Back with more after this break. This is Cutting Through the Matrix, talking about the, uh, the ongoing agenda to make sure that the men are feminized. And it's been working awful well for since the 50s onwards, as you can probably see. But it, uh, it's talking about, especially phthalates here, but also the bisphenol A and other, there's all different kinds that, are, uh, that work with this too, that, that are artificial estrogens. Something they, they knew back in the late 1800s, by the way. And they knew, too, uh, what the effects would have on children back then. But here they are all finding it all over again. They keep finding the same thing all over, uh, and they do nothing about it. Because it's an agenda. It says here, um, the study published in the International... This is interesting, too, if you find this site. The new study published in the International Journal of Andrology... Andrology, that's a study basically of male hormones and secondary sexual characteristics and so on, was led by Dr. Shanna Swan, professor of obstetrics and gynecology at the University of Rochester in New York State. Her team tested urine samples from mothers in the 28th week of pregnancy for traces of phthalates. The women who gave birth to 74 boys and 71 girls were contracted again when their children were aged 4 to 7 and asked about the toys the youngsters played with, the activities they liked and their personalities. The researchers found that higher concentrations of the two types of common phthalates, DEHP and DBP, were strongly linked with more feminine play in the boys but had no impact on girls. Well, actually does, other studies have shown it has impact on girls in the opposite direction. Too much estrogen makes them 
uh, go that different direction. The higher phthalates boys were less likely than other boys to play with cars, trains and guns or engage in rough and tumble games such as play fighting. They preferred gender, gender neutral activities uh, uh, such as sports. Uh, that doesn't make sense. Professor Swan believes the chemicals reduce levels of the male sex hormone testosterone in unborn babies, and it's true. During a critical window of development between the 8th and 24th week of pregnancy, so the mother's ingesting the stuff, and it's also coming through her skin with all the various cosmetics. It's in them all. It says this alters the development of the brain as well as male genitals. She said last week if replicated, these findings would be of serious concern because they indicate that these common chemicals can significantly alter the development of the male brain. A previous study by Dr. Swan found that boys whose mothers had the highest phthalate levels were more likely to have undescended testicles and smaller genitals than other baby boys. In animal studies, males with similar genital changes had lower sperm counts. Well, this is found the same with humans, too. Elizabeth Salter, Green Director of the Chemicals Campaign Group, ChemTrust, said last night, These results are extremely worrying. They, they say that all the time with every study that comes out over the years. It's always worrying. We know that phthalates, to which we're all constantly exposed, are extremely worrying from a health perspective, leading to disruption of male reduction health and appears male behavior, too. Oh, what a surprise, eh? We're surprised. But if you want to rule the world and you're destroying the family unit, you're destroying the male that's your main enemy down through the last few hundred years you have to attack your enemy ruthlessly don't you because you want to win that's what war is all about and these are the methods they use these are the methods that you use and I'd say it's been working awfully well to be honest with you because they've known as I say this for an awful long time so that's how the world is really run these are the covert wars that go on and anything goes to get their agenda through. Anything at all. And i got to admit, it's always very effective. Very, very effective. Well, that's it from Hamish, myself, and Ontario, Canada for tonight. So, good night, and may your gods or your gods go with you. <laughs>